0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you are living and active. Lord, I pray that as we study the Beatitudes this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, that we would hear your voice, that you would instruct us in the way in which we are to go. Have your way in us, Lord Jesus. Meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Some of us feel as though we're buried in the snow. Some of us feel as though we're riding on top of the snow, enjoying life. And Regardless of where we're at this morning, you meet each one of us faithfully where we are. And we ask that as you do that, that you would lead us to where you desire us to be, in your presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We pray these things in the precious, holy, sufficient name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Men, you may have a seat. Well, many of you are new to Park Community Church, and if that is you, we welcome you here. We're glad that you are here with us. And some of you are new to Minnesota altogether. You are completely new. You've moved here in the last year. In fact, as I've met some people around Park Community Church, more and more people are moving to Minnesota, and you are new, and you are attending our church, and we welcome you to Minnesota in general. And by now, I think you've probably figured out that these are incredibly important. Oh, it's dripping. I used mine this morning. (laughs) Right? A window scraper, a window brush. You need one of those in this state, in this culture. Also, hopefully you figured out that you need these driving gloves. You want those. And one of these, a stocking cap, right? If you are new to Minnesota, by now you figured out that you need those. And if you own a home or you're renting a home, you figured out that one of these is incredibly important. I used to be one of the type of guys who thought I didn't need one of these. I just would shovel by hand. In fact, I cleared snow at two different apartment complexes earlier on in my life before we had kids. And I prided myself in using a shovel and getting exercise. And now my neighbor has one of these and he lets me use it to do my yard, my driveway and his driveway. And I found out just how important a snowblower is. How helpful and handy those are. You don't need these things in Florida or Oklahoma or California. Do you? No. It's a different culture. It's a different climate in those places. But here in Minnesota, you certainly need those things. They are incredibly helpful. In the same way, the book of Matthew, in these texts that we're looking at, Jesus is helping us learn how to acclimate to a new culture. Jesus has burst on the scene here in the world. Jesus, the the Son of God who has existed eternally, Outside of space, outside of time, outside of creation as we know it, God has entered mankind's world. God has entered the world that he created. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is the premise for the Beatitudes, which we're looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is now walking among his people. We celebrated at Christmas and we continue to talk about what that looks like as we go through the book of Matthew, that God is among his people. The kingdom of heaven, the glorious rule and reign, the perfection of God, the, the glories of heaven are now here to be tasted and experienced on earth. And there's a collision of culture as this happens. That's what the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, which we're going to be looking at over the next couple weeks and possibly months, is all about this collision of these two cultures. The, the culture of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and the culture of earth, or the kingdom of earth. Jesus is helping us to learn how to acclimate to a new culture. Last week, we got through five of the seven Beatitudes. Look at them with me. They were just read by Brooke, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritual beggars looking for bread. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who, who, who weep over their sin, who show remorse over their sin, who, who feel emotion over their sin. Blessed are the, are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, who, who keep their strength under control and use it for the good of others, who lift others up, who edify others rather than exalting self. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, to, to be right with God and to do right by God for others, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is what we looked at last week. And I think we all, many people here are familiar with the Beatitudes and familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. And many, many people hear these teachings and they kind of think, oh yeah, that sounds nice. Those sound good. But then when we really dive into it, we begin to realize that this is countercultural. That the culture of heaven, that the culture of Jesus' kingdom runs in contradiction to the culture of the world, to what we're used to. Yesterday, Brittany and I were at Costco and we bought some maple syrup. Nothing out of the ordinary there, right? There's nothing exciting about that. But as we bought the maple syrup, we were talking about our syrup adventure. Any of you ever been on a syrup adventure? You have no idea what I'm talking about. We were talking about the first time that we tasted maple syrup. And both of us could remember the first time that we tasted maple syrup. We didn't like it. It tasted bitter to us. It tasted odd to us. We were like, why would anyone eat this stuff? See, we grew up on the artificial stuff. Hungry Jack, you remember that? You like put it in the microwave and there's a little thing that tells you when it's hot and then you pour it on your pancakes. Stuff is awful. The only thing not in that is maple syrup. <laughs> so we had grown up with a taste for that, with this, with this artificial stuff, with this, this stuff that just, it's not good for your body, it doesn't really taste good, but when you grow up with that, you become accustomed to it, you become used to it. And you think the authentic, real thing that comes from the tree Your body wants to reject it upon first tasting. That's similar to what's happening here with the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Jesus is is coming and he's turning the world upside down and he's he's giving us a better way to live. He's giving us a taste of something more glorious than what the world has to offer. He's giving us a taste of of a culture that that our hearts, that that our souls long for. But upon first taste, it it contradicts what we're used to. And that's what he's getting at here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's different than the culture of the world. The culture of the world is, blessed are those who who have something to offer. Blessed are those who are full. Blessed are those who are sure of themselves. Blessed are, are those who have a lot to give to others. Blessed are those who mourn. That's not the culture of the world. The culture of the world is, blessed are those who show no weakness. Blessed are those who can go through trials without without getting weepy. Blessed are those who are strong. Blessed are the meek, those who edify others rather than exalting self. No, the world is all about getting a leg up on others. It's about building your platform. It's about building your network. It's about building your inheritance. Acquiring, getting more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, it's not the world. The the culture of the world is blessed are those who who can get the things that they crave and want and stockpile and have a big savings and, and have more things. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for recreational glory and joy and can figure out the type of job and life to live where they can go snowboarding or snowmobiling every weekend. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for the things that they want and they figure out a way to get those things. That's the culture of the world. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The culture of the world is blessed are those who are strong and figure out how to use their strength for their own good. See, Jesus is teaching us here that there's radically that there's something radically different about his kingdom and about his culture turns everything upside down, everything that we think we want, everything that kind of kinda of by nature, our, our culture that we've grown up in and that we're surrounded by. It's like hungry jack syrup. Right? I mean, the things of the world taste good for a moment. They, they seem normal until we get a taste of the real thing, and we begin to grow a taste for the real thing, for real maple syrup, and realize this, this is what we were made for. This is natural. It came from a tree. It's better for my body. I enjoy it more, actually, but I have to change my perspective, and I have to grow new taste buds. I think that's what's happening here with Jesus. He's actually tapping into the heart and the soul of mankind, that, that we know we were made for something more. We, we know that the cheap artificial culture that the world has to offer, I mean, everybody knows this. That's why people, whether they are Jesus following, loving people or not, whether they're religious people or not, they read the Beatitudes and they think, well, yeah, that, that sounds nice, that sounds good. It, it, but then you dive into it, you start to taste it, and it, and it seems like, well, no, I don't really want to give up my stuff. I don't really want to put people before myself, I don't really want to become a mournful, meek, poor person. But the more that we step into this, friends, the more that we follow Jesus on this journey that he's invited us to, look at it it in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, and he said to them, this is the fishermen, the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As he says that to each one of us, follow me and I will give you a new purpose. I will give you a life worth, a life filled with meaning and worth. Follow me, but it's going to confront your cultural norms. It's going to confront your individual identity. But the more that you follow, the more that you do life with me, the more that you're going to realize that this upside-down kingdom that the culture of the kingdom of heaven is actually more satisfying. It's more pleasing, but you've got to train yourself to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his ways are right and that his ways produce fruit and that his ways satisfy. So that's where we left it off last week with chapter verse seven, chapter 5, verse 7. Today I want to keep going. I want to finish up the last three Beatitudes. So we're going to move on to the pure in heart. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, I think anyone in our world would say, yeah, that sounds nice to have a pure heart. But then when you begin to really pursue what it means to have a pure heart, it means uh, I have to give up things. I have to change habits. I have to lay down my selfish desires I have to think differently about others? That's hard. In fact, it's seemingly impossible. See, Jesus is giving us these commands that are impossible for us. Blessed are the pure in heart. Who in this room would identify themselves as a pure soul, a pure heart? I don't think many of us would if we were being genuinely honest with ourselves because we know the judgments that we make about others. We know the the, the way that that though we try and fight it, we tend to think about ourselves and our preferences and our perspectives and our wants and our needs before others. We tend to to settle for the created things. We tend to settle for the, the substitutes rather than the authentic, real thing. Here Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. In the Bible times, in, in the Hebrew culture and Hebrew language, and now as we move into the New Testament in Greek and Aramaic, they thought of the heart as the center of life. The, the heart was what controlled your thoughts, what controlled your actions, what, what controlled your, deci- your desires and your decisions. The heart was the center of everything. And so here Jesus is saying, blessed are those who have a pure center, a pure heart that That their desires, that their thoughts, that their actions, that their emotions are pure. But Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And I think we know experientially, if we're honest with ourselves, that's true of our heart. It's deceitful. My emotions, sometimes they lead me to something true that I, need to, that I need to fix, but oftentimes my emotions lead me away from what's true. Sometimes my, my desires, there's this battle within me. I desire the good things of the Lord, but I also desire what my flesh wants, right? My, my actions, sometimes they're in line with, with what God has laid out in his word, but oftentimes they're in line with my culture. Oftentimes my my actions and my thoughts and my emotions and my decisions more resemble the culture of earth than the culture of heaven. So Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it is true of all of mankind. So what are we to do? Jesus has said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Church, do you want to see God? Do you want to see God? Do you want to taste and see that the Lord is good, well, then you need a pure heart. If your heart is deceitful above all things, how do you get a pure heart? So what I want to spend some time looking at this morning, grab a Bible. We're going to do some holy flipping here, and I want you to come with me because I want you to see God's Word on the page. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 26, and let's let's see what Scripture has to say about how we get a pure heart. If the If the pure in heart are blessed and will see God, how do we, church, together get a pure heart? How do you individually get a pure heart? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. It's on page 724 in the Pew Bible. I love the sound of the pages flipping. Let's keep that up. This is God speaking through his prophet Ezekiel to his people. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. and from all your idols i will cleanse you and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you and i will remove the heart of flesh or the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh You hear that beautiful promise from the Lord? I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will wash you from all uncleanliness. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will replace your deceitful heart, your hard heart, your heart of stone, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. How do we become pure in heart? We receive the gracious gift and promise. From the Lord. Let's keep going. I want to see this some more. Look at Psalm chapter 51, verses 7 and 10. That's on page 474 in the Pew Bible. This psalm is from the, the King David after he had committed adultery and then murdered the man of the wife whom he slept with. And this is a man in scriptures that it, that it says he's a man after God's own heart. So, regardless of what you've done, there's hope for you. This is one of the heroes of the Bible who committed adultery and murder. And listen to what he says about the heart. This is after he's been confronted and he's worked through a period of repentance and he's, he's, he's showing remorse over his sin. He's being mournful. Chapter 51, verse 7. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The pure heart is a gift from God. It's a work that only God can do. Hyssop is the branch that they used in Exodus to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over the firstborn of Israel. It's also what they lifted up to Jesus when he was on the cross and they lifted up sour wine to him. They lifted it up with a hyssop branch. So here David is saying, God, you must work in me. Purge me. You purge me with your blood, with your truth, with your with, with your nature, with who you are, and that's how I will become clean. Wash me and I'll be clean, whiter than snow. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Church, we're so dependent on God to, to impress himself upon us. God to exchange his perfect, pure nature with our imperfect, impure nature to impart it to us. And he does that. Let's... Keep looking. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. It's on page 530 in the Pew Bible. Solomon, the author of Proverbs, writes to instruct us. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. There it is again, your heart, the center of your being. For they are a life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, For from it flows the springs of life. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have been washed clean. For from the heart flows all things. From the heart flows the stream of life. And so we are to keep our heart with all vigilance, We're to guard our heart. We're to protect our heart. We're to take care of our heart. So we see this working out as Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? It means to receive the gift of a new heart from God. And then what are we to do with that gift of a new heart? We are to guard it. We're to protect it. We are to take care of our heart, of our inner being, of the center of our life. Look at, this is just a, let's go over to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. This is one of my favorite verses in the moment. I found it a couple weeks ago when I was at a cabin and I just ruminated on this verse for a day. It's very simple. Again, it's the Proverbs and and this is a father instructing his son and he goes into prostitutes and drunkenness and says how how sex outside of the context of God's design and how alcohol outside of the context of responsibility can lead you astray and destroy your life. That to pursue sex outside of God's confines and to enjoy alcohol to the point of losing your mental capacity, that is not keeping a step with a pure heart, but look at what he says here. Verse 26, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. I love that. Just think about that, church. Hear the invitation of God, your good heavenly Father, who's instructing his kids how to live, how to walk. Hear his voice inviting you to give him your heart. Give him your heart and observe, observe his ways. Isn't that a beautiful invitation from the Lord? I mean, some of us, we like to keep our heart on lockdown. We don't like anyone in, we don't like to let anyone into the intimate, vulnerable spaces of our life. We don't want people to see the true us. We don't want people to know what our thoughts are doing. And remember, if, if in, the, in the Bible here, the heart is the center of all things. It's thoughts, desires, actions, emotions. We don't want to let people in there. We don't want people to know what we're thinking all the time. We don't want people to know what what, what our thoughts are dwelling on all the time. We don't want people to know the decisions that we made in the quiet, private spaces of our own life. And here God is inviting you, his children, his son, his daughter, to give you, give him your heart. Give him your everything. He will exchange your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He says, observe my ways, watch what I do, watch my glorious goodness, watch as I care for you, watch as I tenderly love you in the broken, vulnerable places that your heart will reveal. Watch me, give me your heart, trust me, and I will lead you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, so a pure heart is a gift from God It's a gift from God that that we receive as we give him our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. And it's something that once we've received it, we must protect it. How do we protect it? One more verse here. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, on page 512 in the Pew Bible. How do we protect this gift that we're called to guard? Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? A pure heart. How can a young man, how can a young woman, how can a human being keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's the path in the progression, church, for What Jesus means by blessed are the pure in heart's. Is those who have done the first five things or those who fit the categories of the first five Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are willing and able to say that I am poor in spirit, that I have nothing to offer. Blessed are those who can mourn over wrongdoing, over sin, over their own sin, over the sin in the world. Blessed are the, the meek, those who care more about exalting others than self. Blessed are those who want righteousness with God, to get right with him and to do right by Him in the world. Blessed are those who are merciful, those who don't use their strength for their own benefit and good, but for the benefit and good of others. And blessed are the pure in heart, those who have received this gift from God. Those who are learning how to give God their heart and trust God with their hearts and receive the renewed, purified hearts. And then those who are learning how to guard their heart. And how do we guard that heart? According to God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to God's word. But by meditating on this book, by meditating on God's teachings about his culture, that's how we protect and guard and foster purity in our hearts. With my whole heart I seek after you, with my thoughts, with my desires, with my decisions, with my actions. Let me not wander from your commandments. And hear the desperation of the psalmist here. Let me not wander. We just sang it this morning. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above God longs for us to have a pure heart, and he gifts us this pure heart, but it takes us continuing to say, God, help me. I want to protect my heart. I want to guard my heart according to your word, for I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So having a pure heart is a gift from God that must be stewarded wisely for the glory of God for the good of our soul, and for the advancement of the kingdom. Self-assessment question for you this morning, church. Have you given your heart to God? Maybe some of you are Christians, you've said a prayer, a series of prayers, or you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, but maybe you're still kind of trying to protect your own heart from God. I mean, the scripture calls us to guard our heart, right? Guard our heart from impurity of the world that we are faced with every day as we walk out into the culture of the world. But some of you may try and protect your heart from God, even like, I don't want, I, I don't want to admit to God, I, although, like, the mind games that we play with ourselves are crazy, aren't they? Like, I don't want to admit to God, I don't want to say out loud to God, or, or even write down in a journal the things that I do and think about, because then it kind of, it kind of stamps it as True. And so some of us, we find ourselves trying to protect ourselves from God, protect our hearts from God. Like we want to we keep God kind of away from the center of our being. We don't want to really consider our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our decisions with God because it seems too vulnerable, too intimate, too broken. So we try and put on a good face and we try and do religious activity and we try to prove to God that we're okay, that we're cleaner than we are. And God is saying, no, you're not. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart is a heart of stone, but I've got a new heart for you, a heart of flesh. Here it is. Would you take it? Would you receive it? Would you give me my Would you give me your heart? Back to the assessment question. Have you given your heart to God? Have you received the gift of a new, clean and pure heart? And are you guarding it according to his word? Just think for yourself, and what do you need to do to grow in that? If you've never given your heart to God, give your heart to God today. He can be trusted with your heart. If you have given your heart to God, are you reminding yourself of the gospel, that he's made you new, that, that, that you actually are washed clean, that you actually fit the description of Matthew chapter 5, verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. And this verse is true of you. You're blessed. Because you have a pure heart given to you by God the Father. And you can see God clearly. You can have this intimate, close, vulnerable interaction with God, your Father. And then the last question, what will it take for you to do to guard your heart? and that you know, I've given my heart to God, I've received his gift of a new heart, now I want to guard this thing. What do you need to do to guard your heart according to his word? What patterns, what habits can you create in your life to guard your heart? All right, let's move on. Peacemakers, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Essentially, peacemakers means to confront and resolve conflict means the the culture of the kingdom, the culture of Jesus' people, the culture of Jesus' church is to confront and resolve conflict. There's typically three types of people in the world. There's peacekeepers. Many of you probably naturally tend towards peacekeeping. That means you run from conflict. It means you avoid conflict. You don't run to conflict. You don't confront and resolve conflict. You sweep it under the rug you pretend like everything's okay. You, got, you go into emotional lockdown and you just move on, right? That's a peacekeeper. There's also troublemakers, those who just create conflict wherever they go, right? Maybe some of you are those type of people. You're, just, you're always devil's advocate. You're always looking at things the wrong way. You're always trying to like, get under people's skin. And Sometimes you may have a reason for it, and it may be good. And sometimes we, we create problems as we ask challenging questions. But some of you are just troublemakers just because you like to be troublemakers. And then the peacemaker. That's the person who actually confronts conflict and, 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 and works towards Resolution. Not avoiding it, not sweeping, under the, not sweeping it under the rug, not creating conflict for conflict's sake, but actually there's a conflict and they run to it. These are the type of people that when there's when there's like tension in a relationship, they're the one that pick up the phone and say, hey, we need to talk. They're, they're the ones that say, hey, we, we need to figure this out together. This is what Jesus is saying is true of his kingdom. If you are to follow Jesus, if you are to to get acclimated to the culture of heaven church we need to learn to be peacemakers we need to learn to get right with one another not peacekeepers and sure there's certain things that you just sweep under the rug you ignore it like if it's an offense that you can get over without having a hard conversation that's okay there's a place for that but church we need to learn how to really seek peace together Jesus gives us some instructions for this in Matthew chapter 18. We're not going to turn there this morning. I preached on it a few months ago. You can go back on the website and find that if you'd like. But he goes through a series of what it looks like for us to seek forgiveness. He says if somebody's wronged you, go to them one-on-one. If that doesn't work, bring with them another person or two and work through it. And if that doesn't work, bring it to the church. Seek help. Seek guidance. Seek guidance. Jesus is calling us to be a people. If we are going to be in the kingdom of God, we are a people who work through conflict. We seek resolution. We, we humbly and honestly pray and get down on our faces before God and say, God, these relationships are more important to me than, than many things in life. These relationships are vital to your kingdom being advanced. And so God, would you help us to work through it? 2 Timothy chapter, uh, we're not going to flip here, well, let's flip to this one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, and chapter 4, verse 2, it's on page 996 in the Pew Bible. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, instructing Pastor Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, where Paul planted a church, he started a church, he pastored it for a while, he moved on to start another church, and appointed Timothy, the pastor of that church. And he writes him and instructs him on pastoral ministry. He says in Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See how, how Pastor Paul is teaching Pastor Timothy to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. He's saying when, when there's wrong doctrine, when there's things wrong in the church, don't sweep it under the rug and ignore it. Don't run into situations and create conflict, but use the word of God to reprove and to correct, chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. See the characteristic of being a peacemaker there? Peacemaker there? Complete patience and teaching, but get after it. When people need a rebuke, rebuke them. When people need correction, correct them. This is how we make peace. We don't just allow things that are wrong to continue to go on. We, we confront it in love with patience. That's how peace is made. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. One more passage here, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It's on page 948 in the Pew Bible. You know what, I'm going to read this entire chunk because I think it gives us the flavor of what a church filled with peacemakers would look like. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Continue to the needs, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live with, in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Here's the key. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repace the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. See the culture of a people who are peacemakers? Jesus is saying, if you want to enter my kingdom, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a part, a part of my church, a part of my family, a part of my culture, this is how we live. We work to make peace. We work towards peace. We, as 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This means you're not always fighting for your perspective, your rights, your ways, your thoughts, your desires, but you're saying, what can I lay down how can I seek to understand this person? How can I first seek to understand rather than to be understood? How can I listen before I speak? And if there's conflict, how do I address it Address it in a godly way? Some self-assessment questions for you this morning, church. And just think about this for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in answering and, and applying these. Are you a peacekeeper? Someone who avoids conflict? Are you a troublemaker, someone who creates conflict? Or are you a peacemaker, somebody who works towards resolving conflict? And regardless of where you're at, what would it take for you to move more and more into the culture of the kingdom of heaven? How can you learn to become a peacemaker? Verse Matthew 5, verse 9, back to the Beatitudes on page 810. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of, of God. That's our identity as a church. We're sons and daughters of God, we're brothers and sisters of one another, and we're neighbors and witnesses to the world. Our identity as sons and daughters of God mandates that we learn to be peacemakers with our brothers and sisters. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who learn how to resolve conflict honor God and understand what it looks like to live within his family. Here's his culture, here's the values of God's family to care for one another, to figure it out. Lastly, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, blessed are, are those who are faithful under pressure. Blessed are those who, who persevere in this culture, in this kingdom, regardless of how the, the conflicting culture of heaven and the conflicting culture of earth collide. And there's, there's pressure. I mean, the, the culture of the world doesn't like this upside-down culture of the kingdom. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who's just opposed to the ways of God. And as you you try and walk in line with God's ways, sometimes they they distance themselves from you because you're like a constant source of conviction around them, even if you're not trying to be. Like, uh, I don't really think we should be talking about that, guys. I'm just going to step out of this conversation. I don't think we should be talking about that person this way. I think we should back out of this conversation. I don't think we should be looking at that, dudes. I mean, high school guys, oh, I remember being there. Like, over at friends' houses, and you find a magazine, and like, oh, what are they going to think about me? The culture of the kingdom and the culture of the world are in conflict, and there's There's persecution, and and certainly here in this text, it's actually talking about physical persecution. It's not just talking about, like, kind of struggling to fit into the culture of the world around you, and like, well, your coworkers, your neighbors, some people are going to think you're weird if you don't do what they do. This is actually talking about real persecution, which many of our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing here and now today. You can go on to opendoor.com or .org and see the statistics about people who are dying for their faith around the world. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because they care about righteousness. See, that, that's the thing. They're not persecuted, not persecuted for like political stances or persecuted for um, just differences of opinions. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Righteousness is to get right with God and to do right by God in the world. And he's saying if you are persecuted for serving God and his kingdom, you will be blessed. You will inherit the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. This new culture that you are learning to live into will become more and more this blessed reality regardless of how the circumstances of the world are treating you regardless of how the people of the world, the culture of the world, and just your life circumstances, regardless of how those things are going, if you learn to live in this cultural kingdom reality of God, you will be blessed. Your soul will be satisfied, though you may not have all the things that the world says you should want and need. Let's look at this persecution piece with a couple other passages. Look at John chapter 15, verse Verses 18 through 19 on page 902. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. Listen to the promise that Jesus gives his followers. I mean, we need to consider whether or not we want to be in this family, whether or not the kingdom and culture of heaven is the kingdom and culture that we want to submit ourselves to. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Church, no. The more that you step into the culture of heaven, the more that that you believe that, as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the more that you learn to live in that reality and that truth, the more resistance you're gonna feel in the world. The the more butting of heads and cultures and perspectives you're gonna feel. And Jesus warned us: the world's gonna hate you. It's not gonna subscribe to this upside-down kingdom where the where the last are first, where the poor are blessed. Where the meek are blessed, where the mournful are blessed, this is countercultural, and the world's not going to like it, and your own soul, you're not going to like it at first. You're going to want to reject it like real maple syrup when you're used to hungry, Jack. But the more that you embrace it, the more that you taste it, the more that you will see that you were created for this life, for this world, for this kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is being set up on the earth. Let's close out by looking at this incredible passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. It's on page 1015 in the Pew Bible. This is Peter, the apostle, who was just called in Matthew chapter 4. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through twenty-two, Jesus calls the disciples to come and follow him. This first crew the core four Peter James John and Andrew Jesus calls them to leave their their nets to leave the life of fishing for fish and to come with him to embrace this culture and to fish for people and Peter has done that he's given up everything to follow Jesus and he's heard Jesus teach on what to do with persecution that blessed are those who who remain faithful under pressure and persecution listen to how Peter instructs us now 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while unjustly suffering. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you church have been healed. You were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Jesus, as we respond to the truth of your gospel I pray that you would help us to experience more and more the cultural reality of heaven among us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater taste for the things of God, a a greater desire to live in this upside down, this subversive kingdom. And God, I, I thank you for this passage in 1 Peter that reminds us that He himself bore our sins. Jesus, you took our sins on your body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By your wounds, we are healed. So Jesus, I thank you for producing in us a greater righteousness than we could ever muster up on our own. I thank you for not welcoming us in because we're able to become poor of spirit or to mourn or to become merciful or to be able to um, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, in our flesh, in our power, we cannot do those things. We cannot create a pure heart in ourselves. But the hope of the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, and the hope of the world is that you, Jesus, have done this for us. You are producing in us a righteousness which we can never muster up on our own. So we cling to you this morning, Lord Jesus. We love you. We welcome your cultural, the kingdom of your culture here into our lives, into our hearts, into our church, into our communities. And we pray that more and more the kingdom of heaven would be visible among us. Empower us through your spirit, Lord Jesus. Amen.